This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 129. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here. Today on the show, and I have Brian Chenille. And what I love about Brian is he works for a risk assessment insurance provider that specializes in multifamily. And he kind of opened my eyes to making sure that we don't just pay attention to the insurance premium, but we actually pay attention to the coverage itself. Now, his business focuses on multifamily, insuring multifamily, but more than that, it's really assessing the risk and making sure that he identifies gaps in the coverage. And he goes through a variety of examples on the show. I've been through experiences where I said, well, my gosh, where's the insurance for that? And there was none. And it's really because I'm not an expert at reading insurance policies because they're kind of, you know, they're kind of long. They got the fine print. There's no pictures in them, you know. And uh, and so who's going to read that? And his company does. And it's really, really important that we do that and that we have someone inspect or audit our policies to make sure that there's no gaps. And if, if there are, that we understand those gaps and that we understand the risk that we're taking on. And it's not always the lowest premium either. So I'm really excited to get an interview with Brian. But before we do, let's remind you guys that we uh, we just we have out the new book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's live on Amazon right now. Just Google Financial Freedom Real Estate Investing. It's a bright yellow cover. You can't miss it. And it took me a long time to write this book. Uh, it's uh, probably priced at $9.99 right now. It should be priced at $1,000 because of value that's in there. But really, it all talks about how it's possible to quit your job with real estate investing. And of course, it's with apartments. But don't worry, you can do it without any experience or your own cash because I talk about exactly how to do that in the book. So check it out on Amazon, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. All right, cool. So with that, let's get right into the interview with Brian Chamil. Here we go. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to look forward to it. So give us a little background on you and your and your business. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Brian Schimmel. I'm a vice president with Multifamily Risk Advisors. Um, we provide insurance services for the multifamily industry. You know, my partners and I, we insure, um, gosh, I think the numbers now is up to around a few hundred thousand units around the country. And we've been at it for a little over 20 years, um, eight years up for me personally. We, we like to promote that we're one of the few, you know, um, and one of the first to truly specialize. You know, we're not, um, we're not a global entity. We're not a name brand that, you know, a lot of people are aware of. And we kind of pride ourselves on that. We're a boutique shop that represents some very well-known, you know, companies with some really large portfolios, you know, some uh, more regional firms with mid-sized portfolios. And then, you know, we also do a lot of work with inspiring, you know, multifamily investors that's looking to, to grow a portfolio. Yeah, I'm exactly right. And uh, you're, you're you know, recently looking at doing an audit on our insurance coverage and something that we as investors don't really pay too much attention to, right? It's kind of like a checkbox and we typically go for the cheapest premium. What I've realized is that the cheapest premium is uh, may not always be the, the best thing. So, you know, under that, guys, there's insurance, but you kind of, you talk about risk assessment. So what is, in your opinion, risk assessment in the context of multifamily versus, I guess, just insurance? Like, what's the difference and what's risk assessment to you? Sure. I mean, when I think of insurance, I mean, I, I think about how probably most people just look at it and that's, you know, what, what sort of policy do I need? You know, what will appease the lenders? Um, 
you know, and that's usually how, you know, most people's introduction to insurance and, and unfortunately how too many of them just look at it. But when you really look at like risk assessment, you know, in the strictest terms, you know, a risk assessment is a process of identifying the inherent risk of, of a property. You know, some of it's obvious, you know, you have the traditional risk, you have your, um, you know, your fire, your flood, your windstorms, slip and falls, et cetera, you know, and rental income that's at risk, um, you know, if you were to have a loss. You know, at the highest level, I guess, you, you know, you have to, th- to think about potential loss or damage to the asset, which is your property insurance, and the potential loss, um, you know, from your liability in operating that property, which gets into your liability insurance, you know, thinking slip and falls there. So, you know, um, when I think, you know, a risk assessment really starts the moment a potential property is identified that you're thinking about purchasing, that you're looking at, you know, when your OM hits your desk or, you know, or it can be taking a hard look at the assets that you already own and trying to go back and really quantifying what your, you know, what your risk is. You know, it's um, not enough pay enough attention to it. You know, when I look at, at a property, you know, I go through it and I, I begin looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, how old is this property? What construction type is it? Where is the property located? You know, is it a good area, a bad area? You know, what are the crime scores for that area? What conditions the property in? And then how old are, you know, like the roofs and the wiring on it and possibly current conditions that need to be, you know, addressed, like deferred maintenance on the property, those types of things. Um, you know, one of the biggest, and you and I have talked about it a little bit, and this is just one where I see even some very, you know, sophisticated investors really not get their hands around. And that's just with regards to acquisitions, you know, taking a look at the seller's historic losses and what they've looked like. Um, that gives you a real clear picture of, of you know, the, the types of loss that might come for that property, the types of loss that's been experienced on that property. And, and trust me, the underwriters are looking at it and basing their rates off of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we underappreciate typically the exposure that we have when we do stuff in real estate, and and certainly, certainly in the in the beginning, and I, you know, everybody that starts off, I see, you know, my in my own experience as well as some of the students we work with, as we get started, we just have happy years on. We nothing can go wrong. We want to do a deal so badly, we can just not consider the downside. And now, having done this for over a decade, you know, things have happened. And we're kind of blinded by our optimism to some extent, and we really don't consider the potential exposure that we have. Uh, you know, we looked at deals in you know in Houston during the during the the hurricane and the floods, and you know one of the buildings didn't have flood insurance, and I mean it was almost a total loss for this for this investor. And you know, you have other things like sexual harassment suits, or or someone you know, someone sues someone and, and sues the property manager, the agent, and and the owner. And and what can we do to protect ourselves from that? So, what are some of the gaps that you see, uh, even some of the more sophisticated investors, where you kind of go, "My gosh, you have you have potential exposure here," and uh, we need to try to address that. Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about that deals are so hard to come by right now that people are just looking past things that they should not, you know, just almost in blind hope that a loss is not going to happen to them or they can somehow deal with some sort of issue down, you know, down the road. Um, you know, in Florida, it's very common. You know, we, we, we see these complicated catastrophic hurricane deductibles, you know, and just time and time again, I, I see very sophisticated people that really just cannot quantify what their true exposure is from, from a deductible standpoint. You know, the other thing I see is just complete denial that, you know, managing your risk will help stop, you know, a claim or mitigate a claim. 
whether or not you believe it, the carriers believe it. So you're kind of best served to, to, you know, to take it seriously. You know, I can tell you that regardless of property's location, you know, any and all insurance carriers are going to assess the risk that they're going to be assuming by providing you an insurance contract. And they're going to base their rates off of their conclusion. So, you know, the more that you, you know, get in line with that and operate in accordance with how they're looking at it, I think you'll be much better, better served and able, you know, to control your, you know, your total cost of risk, which I'll talk about, you know, a little bit later. And so what can operators do to align themselves in, in this way that you just described? Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the first things is just routinely, you know, walking the property, keeping up with any sort of deferred maintenance issue, be it a loose handrail, a, a trip hazard that might be on a sidewalk, you know, from a raised sidewalk, going ahead and getting those, you know, ground down. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times when people are looking at properties with a little bit of age on them, you know, have the AC units been updated? The common response is there, well, no, they're working. Well, yeah, they might be working, but they also might be condensating. And and then you end up having sometimes mold issues. The thing that I think people need to understand is there's, we insure so many units, we see a lot of different types of claims um, coming from a lot of different types of, of areas, but there are some predominant ones that we see over and over again. And, and unfortunately, you know, in today's world, there are a lot of professional claimants out there. And, um, and so, you know, staying on top of these things that are obvious that they're going to see and identify, you know, will most definitely help, you know, mitigate the number of claims as well as the severity of claims that you might have. What are some of the more common claims that you see? And then maybe some of the more unusual ones? You know, from a liability perspective, the, the slip and falls, wet conditions, wet floor, handrail, I already mentioned it, but handrails being, you know, loose. The raised sidewalks are extremely common. You know, I've had several this year. You know, we were just walking up to my apartment carrying groceries, and the next thing I know, you know, I slipped here or I my stubbed my toe here on this um, raised sidewalk, and I fell, and now my you know my back hurts, my neck hurts, and all the various other claims that go with it. Um, but those, from a liability perspective, are some of the more common ones that I see. You know, from a property loss perspective. You know, I cannot tell you the number of small, you know, um, oven fires, cooktop fires that happen. You know, those hurt a lot because, um, you know, if you don't have renter's insurance in place, you're subject to the deductible, which might be 5K, it might be 10K, it might be more. And But often those fires fall either under or just barely over that deductible. So the property has to incur the majority of that loss. And, um, and those are some very common ones that we see from the property side, just routinely day in and day out. Now, sometimes we, uh, we get a marketing package or trailing 12 or something like that. And we take a look at the, you know, the trailing 12 insurance policy premium. Now, oh, yeah. why do you think, why do you think that's uh, maybe not always the best thing to do? That um, number is, <laughs> is a number that you just really, it makes absolutely there's no reason that I could come up with to, to, to look at that number for any sort of guidance, much less basing your underwriting on that. You know, you just never know how the seller has that property insured. I mean, real recently, I was working with a client um, on a Florida property just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, she sent us the OM and um, we began pouring through it to provide her some sort of estimate as what the cost was going to be so she could underwrite that property. And we estimated that the insurance cost would be almost twice what was in the OM. And as you can imagine, this didn't go well, you know. And, um, and so we, we started talking in more detail about it. 
We got hold of the seller's current insurance. You know, it turns out that they didn't have wind coverage and several buildings were not even insured. You know, there was no loan on the property, so the seller wasn't required mm. to have it. My client didn't get the property, but whoever bought the property might have gone off the seller's number. And I can't imagine the surprise they got. You know, I have, um, I have other stories. That was one of the more egregious ones I've seen as of late. There, there's other issues too. You know, the seller might have the property wrapped up into some sort of master insurance program where the initial thought is, well, you know, master, maybe they're, you know, they're paying a lot less. Well, you know, another side to the master insurance program is that they often have the ability to allocate insurance costs to the property, however they'd like. So they might have 20 properties in the master insurance program. And for whatever reason, they might just be allocating an artificially low amount to this specific property. You know, there's many issues. I've run into one this year where, you know, a guy had a property insured through a carrier that we all know the name of, which we rarely ever see in the multifamily world. And it was just simply written on a legacy basis. And there hadn't been any losses on the property and the carrier just renewed it each and every year, even though they didn't really, they don't really do multifamily insurance. But I can assure you that, you know, when the new buyer goes to places insurance, they're not just going to carry that over. And so there's, you know, there's many issues like that, that you, you need to consider. And what we do and what I would advise anybody to do is, if you're going through the process of, of really rolling up your sleeves and underwriting a property and you're serious at it, one of the first things you should probably do is just um, reach out to someone, hopefully us, who can provide you an estimate of what that insurance cost is going to be with a very tight range on it so you can do the proper underwriting on it. Yeah. So what's kind of some of the biggest benefits of uh, working with risk management consultants like you guys are at uh, Multifamily Risk Advisors? What, what do you guys bring to the table? Yeah. Knowledge, experience. The relationships are what we, you know, commonly, you know, point out to people. But, you know, drilling into that a little bit, you know, there's not as many carriers riding multifamily as you might think, you know, and even few um, agents, you know, truly specialize in it. You know, we've worked with most carriers and have relationships with their underwriting departments, you know, throughout the country. We're specialized and we speak the multifamily lingo, which I think is a tremendous benefit in working with our clients. Um, you know, we understand the mechanics of multifamily, you know, the speed at which it must move, the lending process, the purchasing process with real estate brokers, the multifamily insurance market as a whole, and then all the trends in multifamily, whatever might be occurring at the time or in that region and the market itself. You know, it, um, it might sound salesy, but we truly, you know, become partners with our clients and help make, um, you know, our clients more competitive in acquisitions. Uh, more efficient the management of their portfolio and more profitable by helping them control all of their risk factors, which is, you know, a lot more than just the premium itself. That's just one of the factors. Now, you mentioned uh, due diligence or even the acquisition side. And, you know, we always talk about make sure you involve your property manager in the acquisition side of things. What role do you play during the acquisition phase? Yeah. Well, during the acquisition phase, you know, the first thing that we always ask for, if available, they're not always available, is the OEM on the property. With that, we're able to look at the square footages. We're able to look at the construction type. We're just able to do our own underwriting of that property and, um, and then respond very quickly with what the real insurance costs um, on that property are going to be. 
And we also help identify a lot of other issues that you might not be thinking of. The common number right now is 2003. I actually was dealing with a quote today where it was 2006, that being the year in which carriers began not offering replacement cost value on roofs. And instead, they're going to offer actual cash value on roofs. Now, I'll try to stay away from the insurance lingo, but what that really means to you is if the roof is older than 2003, 2006, the carrier wants to factor in depreciation should there be a claim. Unfortunately, almost all lenders, especially Fannie and Freddie, are going to require replacement costs, which doesn't factor into depreciation. So, you know, I commonly see people go through the acquisition process or involved in the acquisition process, and they're not budgeting monies for roofs that they might have to replace this year, or if not this year, they might next year. You also have similar issues with wiring and such. So sure, we can provide you an insurance number, but we can also, you know, look at a particular property and talk about the risk factors and some things that you might be forced to deal with as you own that asset. And those are all numbers that, that have to be factored in. Yeah, that's right. It sounds like involving you guys early on in the process really helps along uh, multiple levels. Now, at what point does it make sense to explore master policies? And first of all, what are they and when are they mm -hmm. appropriate? Yeah, you know, everybody really wants like a steadfast number. Um, you know, how many units before I need a master? And, um, you know, and there is no just set number. I mean, if, if you held a gun to my head, I would say a thousand units. But really, geography is the factor that comes into play. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you have 500 units that are in Florida and 500 units in the Midwest, you probably need two masters, you know, one for the catastrophic coastal area and one for the non-cat. Conversely, if you have 200 units, three or four properties or however many, all located very close by geographically, then in theory, you could have a master at that number. And so, you know, there's no way to just provide a raw number. It's very situational and dependent upon really the characteristics of your portfolio. But when I think of master, I think of consolidation, you know, uniform deductibles. So you don't have one property with a high deductible, one property with a much lower deductible, you know, common renewal dates. You know, you really need to work with somebody that can guide you on this. You know, the consolidation, it might be with one carrier and a master, or it might be with several carriers. You know, if nothing else, you really need to get the renewal dates in line so you're not, you know, renewing some policy every month because, you know, I, I see it. Eventually, people just zone out and stop paying attention, and then a year or two goes by, and the next thing you know, they're hit with some sort of event that really, you know, exposes them significantly from a financial perspective. You know, you know there is a cost of your time, and a program should be developed, and that program might be just with one master. That might be the best approach. It might be with several masters. And there's various other approaches to it. A lot of people have different definitions and thoughts on what a master really is. You know, when I think of a master, a true, true master, you know, I'm thinking of something wrapped several thousand units with a blanket rate to where if you go and you acquire a property, you just know that you're going to be paying X amount of dollars for a property rate and Y amount of dollars for a liability rate. That's what I would define as a complete and total true master. Right, exactly. That makes it much more predictable. Now, you mentioned uh, geography and the importance of geography. I think you talked about coastal, flood area, catastrophic coverage of that nature. And, and we've, we've seen in a similar way that you've said that when we're buying properties and the policies have been in place for a while, 
the quotes we're getting often in these areas like Florida, for example, are actually significantly higher than what's in place right now. Can you talk about the importance of geography and maybe some basics around catastrophic coverage? Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, I mean, Florida is an expensive state, but I'm telling you, you know, right now, you know, one of the more expensive areas that I'm seeing is, believe it or not, the Midwest, where they're just completely getting hammered by, you know, hailstorms. And the carriers, you know, they end up reflecting this in their rates. You know, when you get into the true catastrophic areas, the true coastal areas where you're starting to see percentage, you know, windstorm deductibles and things like that applied, Boy, that really gets into an area where you better be working with somebody that really understands, you know, the ins and the outs of that, because subtle little terms can have huge difference. I mean, so many people just look at what is the percentage. I have a 2%, a 3%, or a 5% wind deductible. Well, what does that wind deductible apply to? Does that wind deductible apply to the total value of the property, or does it apply on a per building basis? Those are those are two very, very different things. And for example, if you have a property with a total value, say it's 10 buildings, and you just insure it from a total insured value perspective for 10 million, and that 3% deductible um, applies on the 10 million, well, that's a much larger number than if that 3% deductible applies on a per building basis. So think about it, if you, if you have a storm, you lose, say, four buildings. Would you rather have that 3% applied on 4 million or would you rather have that 3% applied on 10 million? I mean, that's a difference of several hundred thousand dollars in, you know, a, a common hurricane loss. And, you know, I, I, I'm based here in Florida, so I live through this every day. And, and, and it's just a common thing that I see overlooked. I also see, you know, some of the, some of the, terms that are rarely ever looked at, and that is, does that 3% apply to a hurricane or to a named storm? Remember, tropical storms are named storms, and so if a tropical storm comes through, you really don't want that percentage deductible to apply, but if it's a named storm um, coverage that they're using, it will, whereas a hurricane, that percentage is only going to apply if it's a hurricane. And so, you know, there's these very technical terms that very few could ever explain to you from the owner's side. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, sometimes the agents don't go into enough detail on them on what they really mean. And so, you know, from a catastrophic side, that's what I see. And where were we, were we comparing that to what, like say the Midwest or something? Yeah. That's what you mentioned, Midwest, Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, mid Midwest, you know, is, is some of their rates are really starting to rival Florida and they're really because of some of the hail losses that is, that have been occurring there. And so you're seeing, you know, Wind loss deductibles get much higher, you know. Um, you know, you might even start seeing some of the percentage-based deductibles, like they do in catastrophic areas, applied to some of the Midwest properties. And but that's generally a region, you know, that, that's probably trending up, you know, um, in terms of rates more than any other region in the country. What are some other considerations that we haven't talked about that's important with risk assessment that you think uh, listeners should really uh, pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, the most common one is just just paying attention to the premium and not enough attention to the deductibles. That's usually where it, it starts and usually where it, it, it stops. You know, I had a, an opportunity just a, a couple of weeks ago and 
you know, they were really trying to fit this deal in as best way they can. They just really wanted the deal. You know, the insurance costs were coming back on it, being a little bit higher than what they were budgeting. I will say that they didn't reach out to us initially to get an estimate. Um, they just kind of moved forth and we're now involved in the closing process. And when we started looking at the two proposals that they had, you know, um, yeah, one was cheaper, five to $6,000 cheaper in premium. Unfortunately, the, the deductibles that, that, that were going to follow that policy were so substantially high that the, money, that the company didn't even have enough money budgeted to deal with. And, um, and when they walked through, they really began understanding what they were getting ready to put their name on the line for and the exposure that was going to go with that. You know, they came back and said, gosh, we just, we just can't do that to our investors. And so you know, that's kind of a near-term story I have. But in terms of, you know, you've got to take your analysis of insurance. I mean, I get it. And it's not the funnest thing in the world. That's, you know, we try to make it as fun as we can, but you've really got to roll up your sleeves and understand what you're getting ready to bind with the carrier. And so it can't just start and stop at deductibles. You, you got to get in and really understand your coverages. Yeah, I heard your message loud and clear. And, you know, these, these insurance policies are so long and, and technical. And when you're trying to close a property, things are very quick and you're dealing primarily with, with investors and, and with a lender. The insurance is really an afterthought. And so you really need someone on your side, kind of like an attorney who's reviewing the contract and looking at the fine print and going, hey, you know what, you have a pretty gaping hole in here. Otherwise, you know, from the, from the high level, all you're doing is you're paying attention to the, to the premium. But as you're saying, there's much more going on than just the premium. It's actually the coverage itself and the exposure there. Um, so this has been great, Brian. This is just fantastic. Uh, how can people connect with you and find out more about uh, you and uh, multifamily risk advisors? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can visit our website at www.multifamilyra.com. The RA standing for risk advisors. Um, anybody can feel free to email me. I'm sorry. It's, um, it's a difficult name. I've been spelling my whole life. So I'll, I'll, I'll spell it out slowly for everybody. But it's, it's B Schimmel at multifamilyra.com, which is spelled B-S-H-I-M-E-A-L-L at multifamilyra.com. People often try to put a C in it, but um, there's no C in it. It's just S-H-I-M-E-A-L-L. That's awesome. And we'll also put this in the show notes at themichaelblank.com forward slash session 128. We'll have your email in there as well. So, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, it's definitely a, a warning to all of us, a wake-up call to start paying attention to our risk assessment. Uh, so thanks again for coming on the show. No problem. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. All right. I hope that was a bit of a wake-up call for all you multifamily investors or people looking at deals. It certainly was for me. We've had Brian look at our policies and identify gaps and holes that we have or inconsistencies between policies. And it's a reminder that we need to really pay attention to not just a premium, but actually the policy itself. So someone on your team has got to read through that. And certainly someone like Brian's team and MRA are perfectly suited for that. So definitely check out his website, contact him, get him involved early in the due diligence process. So make sure you do that. So a reminder that we're selling tickets right now to our next live event called Dealmaker Live, November 2nd through 4th in Northern Virginia, just outside our nation's capital. So go to the michaelblank.com forward slash events, find out more, grab tickets. It's really all about the deal. That's where syndicators passive investors and money raisers converge and learn more about doing their first deal. And if you've already done your first deal about how to scale your business, 
the format really is uh, people presenting real live deals, how they found them, how they finance them, how they raise money for it, twists and turns, Q&A, lots of networking and VIP opportunities as well. So themichaelblank.com forward slash events and uh, check it out and make sure you grab tickets before they're gone because the max capacity is 312. All right, you guys, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for spending time with me here. You have a great day. Catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.